Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts, Jordana Osband, here with my friend, Chavruta Aaron Gordon. Our DAP today, Masachet Ketubot, DAP Nem Gimel, page 43. We have a very packed fact today with lots of interesting topics. It's a little hard to decide what to talk about. So I will just start with the discussion right at the top of the page, which is a issue that Ravina, uh, Rabbi Avina raises to, I see how I put those names together, Rabbi Avina <laughs> raises in front of Rav Sheshet. So Rabbi Avina raises the following question with Rav Sheshet. So the case that we're talking about here is a daughter, right, who is basically fed by her brothers. In other words, she's an orphan, right? And the brothers have to provide for her from the father's estate, right? And this is uh, in accordance to uh, let's say something that was in a ketubah between the parents that required the father to keep paying for her uh, for her food, basically, from his property. If she earns something, right, who does it go to? Does it go to her, right? Who, who would it go to? Bimkom avkaimi, right? So Rabbi Avina is going to explain this. You could say the brothers are basically instead of the father, right, bimkom avdi. Mahatam, just as if there, if the father was alive, her earnings would go to her father. Hachanami produces should also go to her brother. Uh, maybe, right, that this is um, uh, this is not a similar case to, to her father. Right? where she sustained from uh, his own property, right? Uh, you know, uh, meaning... Right? But here, right, she's not sustained from their possessions, right? Not really from, uh, from the brother's property, but it's really from the estate of the father. And therefore, they actually should not get her uh, earnings brothers who are really sustaining her is state who is who's sustaining her. Amarle, so Rav Shesa says to him, tonight, right, you already Let's say we have a widow, right, who basically sustained a woman's husband died, the property goes she is She's, she's kept economically viable, basically, by property that now belongs to the children, right? Any of her earnings are hers. So what this would basically say is, is that even though a widow gets her mizo notes uh, from the estate of her, of her dead husband, right? Uh, the orphans still, they would get her sort of her earnings. So this should also apply to orphan who's sustained by her brothers. Me, dummy, right? So the Gemara refutes it. It says, Right? Or can we really compare these two? Right? In the case of the widow, okay, um, the, the, the person who is dead maybe doesn't necessarily want to, uh, where he doesn't really want her necessarily live comfortably. So maybe she's only entitled to like, the minimum of what was guaranteed to her in her ketubah, right? Because that's part of what the ketubah guarantees is that if the husband dies, she gets a certain amount of money. 
where her earnings should actually go to her heirs because he didn't the 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 husband didn't intend for her to get more money than that, right? Um, Bito, but when it comes to his daughter, right? Right, a father probably would want her to live well, right? And therefore, he would want her to actually keep her extra money that she earns. So I think this is also interesting. You're saying about the difference of relationships that a father wants to protect his daughter may be different than how a dead husband to protect his widow. Now, I'm sure there are many cases where they want to protect, but I think the Gemara is entertaining the possibility notion of protection may be stronger relationship than it would be in another one. So then the Gemara goes on to say, So are you actually, they call them out, you know, they're, they're calling it out on this. Are you actually trying to say that someone cares more about his daughter than his widow? But I'm a Rabbi Abba. He didn't Rabbi Abba say that Rabbi Yossi said, us who Almana Eitzel Habat Kibat Eitzel Achim Benisachim Muatin. Right? The Chachamim established the halach of the widow with regard to the daughter, right? The daughter who's also allowed to get some uh, sustenance uh, uh, from, um, uh, from the estate. Like the halacha of a daughter with, in her relationship to her brother in the case of a small estate that's in, you know, that basically couldn't uh, sort of support both this girl and her brothers. In other words, what Rabbi Abba is saying in the name of Rabbi Yossi is, is that this halacha, right, that a widow would, uh, would be entitled to, uh, to be sustained by an estate, is very similar to the girl. That in other words, people do want to take care of their widows. And so then they go on to explain, So just as a case with the daughter and the brothers, the halakha is that the daughter gets... They have to beg for charity. and the daughter is, is sustained, and the daughter for charity. So this halacha of of um, of Rabbi Abba and Rabbi Yossi, right, basically is saying that actually maybe a widow is a stronger family relationship than the daughter, or the desire to protect would go more to the widow than to the than to the children. And so then the Gemara basically says, right. So when we're talking about like zilutas, like degradation, right? One's widow is preferable. In other words, if one of them has to be forced to, to go beg for charity, a man would, or a person would prefer that it's his daughter who begs for charity and not his widow. But when it comes to comfort, right? They would prefer his daughter over his uh, widow. So again, like I find what's partially very interesting about these halachot is, is that part of what's being weighed in here is sort of what's human nature about how do you like to protect people after you pass away? And who do you sort of want to protect in different ways? I mean, this essentially, this is halachic estate planning, right? Using the ketubah. Um, in a way, but it's also just in general giving us some ideas of how uh, people were protected. And I think the other thing we really get out of this stuff, 
right? And we'll go, Rev Yosef goes on to raise an objection to this, but I'm not going to keep uh, reading all of this. Um, but I think what we also see is, is like the piece of like, really, um, marriage was very economic, right? And also how daughters were taken care of was very economic. There is not a lot of notion here. Uh, there's really not the idea here on the staff that sort of a woman is going to sustain herself economically. She is basically dependent on her father, her husband, her brothers. And then what happens after one of them, you know, the father dies or the husband dies and how that impacts her economically and how those situations would be set up, like how comfortable they would be made to be monetarily are some of the issues that we see uh, discussed here. And I think, you know, you come to appreciate like how precarious you know, life was for a lot of women. I mean, I think we all knew that, but to really see how dependent they really were on, you know, and I think that's why the Ketubah we see really was a mode of protection. It guaranteed that even if your, you know, husband died or even if your father died and it was written in the Ketubah that he was supposed to, you know, give you money, your brothers were still obligated to support you. Like the, the Halacha and Chazal try to find all these different ways to make sure that women continue to be supported economically and are not just sort of left out on their own. Yeah, it's kind of striking, I think. Um, on the other hand, it's also a little bit disheartening the degree to which the women were dependent. Yeah, it's upset. I mean, thankfully, we live in a very different world today. Right. Okay, I am going to pick this up on the bottom of Ahmed Aleph, really heading on to Ahmed Bet. Um, the Gemara goes back to talk about, um, you know, if the if the woman in this situation, right, the situation of either being seduced or raped, sustains any injuries, and so it says chavalot, meaning injuries, right? We had talked before about the kind of tsar, the kind of I don't know pain that that I think of as you know pain and suffering, meaning the emotional trauma, sure, some physical trauma. Um, in the events that have transpired here, the Gemara is going to pay attention to exactly that, at least briefly. Um, right. The idea here is that we're talking about physical, physical bodily pain. But Rabbi Yossi Barchanina says, we're not just talking about any old physical bodily pain. We're talking about specifically where there's injury to her face. And therefore, right. The presumption is, and this is, you know, on the one hand, it's as um, objectifying as possible. And on the other hand, it's also kind of true, right? The idea that there's a loss to her value if her face is damaged. And the assumption here is, of course, damaged permanently, right? Amarav Zera, Amarav Matana, Amarav Amrila, Amarav Zera, Amarav Mata, Amarav. Meaning maybe it was in a different order, right? Of who said what. Um, no, I'm sorry. Whether it's Rav Zera or Rebbe Zera, that's the that's the distinction of who this lineup is, and specifically, but Hanizonet Minhaachim. We have here a girl who is, or a young woman who is provided for by her brothers. Masia Delatzma. Then her earnings go to her. She she owns them. She takes them home. Right. We have here a verse from Vayikra that says, you make them an inheritance for your sons after you. Um, meaning, which means that we're going to say that 
them, them here starts out being the slaves that you give over to your sons and not your daughters to your sons. Meaning it's you, the, the father's daughters never become akin to the property of the brothers. Which means that the the whole this verse in Vayikra chapter twenty five teaches that a man cannot give over or bequeath right. There's no inheritance the right that he has from his daughters to his sons, which is an interesting distinction. Meaning the paternal relationship is not simply taken over in in whole you know wholesale by the brothers in the event that the father dies. Fine. So, but what I think is interesting here again is there's a recognition here that um, that the loss to her value is is potentially even specific to her, right? It's not just real anybody. And then the question is, what's happening here when we're talking about a girl who is, or again, a young woman who's being provided for by the brothers? How is she going to take these things? Um, how is she going to how is she going to um, take possession of that? Really, right? Um, because she doesn't ever become the slave of her brothers. Now, the Gemara here goes on. Um, I'm just going to finish it up because we're about to hit the next Mishnah. So Avimi Bar Papa says to Rabbi Zera, or maybe it was Rav Zera, but whoever, right? He says, Shakud said this halacha. And then they say, well, who is Shakud? Meaning we don't know who Shakud is. And they answer Shmuel. Fine. Shmuel, we know who that is. But then the Gemara says, Harav Amara. Didn't Rav say it? And then, Ema Af Shakud Amara. So the Gemara says, well, even Shakud said it, meaning the point being that Shmuel agreed with Rav, who had said it originally. This is, a, you know, some fancy footwork about figuring out who said what. But I think we've seen plenty of times now where the Gemara cares a great deal over who said what to make sure that we can line up the opinions, you know, according to their the the people who held them, Amar Mar Amar Mar Bar Amei Mar Lerav Ashi Hachi Imri Nahardai Hilchata Kavited Rav Sheshet. So Mar Bar Amei Mar said to Rav Ashi that the sages in Nahardaa said as follows that the halacha follows Rav Sheshet. Rav Sheshet, or Dan, you spoke about Rav Sheshet earlier. Rav Ashi Amar Hilchata Kavited Rav. But then also they say, well, Ravashi says, no, the halach is according to Rav, meaning not according to Rav Sheshit. The question being, do the brothers take possession of her earnings or does she keep her own earnings? Um, and the Gemara Paskins here in a way that we don't usually see, you know, as a final verdict, that it's according to the opinion of Rav and the opinion of Rav explicitly is that the earnings go to her. That if she does not have a father and is not married and the brothers are providing for her, she nonetheless keeps the her own earnings from Masayada, from the work of her hands. So there also, I think we can see, Yerdina, it's a kind of like a, a nice closure to, to the point you've been talking about in terms of the protection of the woman. And there's also a recognition, you know, that when she does her own labor, she makes her own money and there is something to that. It's not that she it's not that a woman in ancient times never owned property in any way. You know, given the right circumstances, she would be more independent. And this is actually, you know, the proof positive of that, I think. Okay, I'm gonna go on with the next Mishnah. Um okay. And then we're gonna close for the day. So we have a man who betrothes his daughter who is a minor which we've already discussed how distasteful that is, right? 
Vagersha. And then that same man divorces her. Ersa Vinidarmala. Then the father betrothes her to another man. And then that man dies, right? So that she ends up being a widow. Tubata Shalo. Then the you know, in the event of his death, she is entitled to her ktuba, right? The, the value of the marriage contract. And then what ha- well, it's not right to call it a marriage contract, not really. But in any case, he gets she gets she's entitled to her ktuba, but who really gets that money? It goes to the father. Again, the the phenomenon of this case is what's the problem, really, not the fact that he gets the ktuba. The fact that he gets the ktuba makes sense, right? But so in the case where he doesn't betroth her, but he rather fully marries her off, and then she gets divorced. And then her father again fully marries her off to another man, and now she's a widow. And then again, you know, the ktubata, she gets she's entitled to her ktuba. Um and then we say that she she is entitled to the ketubah. No longer goes to the father. Once she has been married off by her father twice as a married woman, she's entitled to the ketubah in the, in the event of the death of the second husband. Rabbi Yehuda Amar Harishona Shal Av. The Rabbi Yehuda says that the the first marriage, the specification, really, right in the first case, the first marriage um, belongs to the father. But that's not that's not the case. That's not this case. This case is where she. Ends up in the second, she gets the ketubah in the second case, namely the first divorce ketubah presumably goes to the father. The second case, when she is a widow, that goes to her. And then, Amrulo im mishisia ein liavia rishuba. And then, not only that, oh, and then, I'm sorry, I'm not saying this well, but let's try this again. They say to him, Amrulo, they say to Rabbi Huda, if it was after he married her off, meaning even that first time when he's married her off and he's married her off fully, right, as opposed to simply betrothal, then the father no longer has any authority over her, which of course is going to raise all kinds of questions as to how it is possible that the father could marry him off, marry her off a second time for her to become widowed. Why is the father marrying her off? Why isn't she just getting married a second time? Um, but this, of course, goes beyond what we're going to talk about today. And um, I think with that, we'll close. Do Danny have anything you want to add? No, I mean, I, I, I think it's an it, it, it's an interesting Mishnah um, because it sort of is, you know, it, it, some of the premise here is that she, you know, it's sort of like weird. Again, I think it shows this toggling that this minor girl has between her father and the husband and that she's really never purely economically independent. And it also shows that, in a way, the ketuba is a financial incentive for the father. Um, unfortunately, yes. I, like I just, but it's like very explicit in this Mishnah. <laughs> like it pays for the father to, to marry the daughter off on many different levels. It's not just because he's no longer uh, has to worry about her, but it's even a guarantee and that if something happens to her and she has to go back to his house, right? Because she's a minor, you know he's going to be taken care of financially as well. Yeah. Yeah. I'm again reminded of, I don't know what it was, a news clip, a documentary. I think it was a news clip that I saw last summer when the U S pulled out of Afghanistan and there were then these families that were kind of left high and dry in terms of their financial standing where the, they literally interviewed the families who were marrying off their daughters for the sustenance that it was going to provide 
for the families. Now, we've talked about how the Gemara says you can't marry off your daughter. You can't sell off your daughter for the sake of food. I'm not saying that this mission is saying that, but it's close. It's it's close. I mean, again, it's a very... Sure, and Maybe he just doesn't want to be responsible for her anymore. Maybe it's Hansel and Gretel. Get her out of the house. And what? We, I think we can also say we appreciate that Halakha really tried to sell. I mean, as bothersome as some of this is to, to watch, I think we also have to admire that Hazal tried to write. Yes, I think that's true. And I think that's a good assessment. Well, that's our DAP discussion for the day. Rank us reviews on all major podcasts. Thank you to- for hosting us on the Hadron website. Tomorrow, well, go tomorrow, tomorrow, go and learn.